Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell, a podcast about storytelling. Welcome to the podcast. My name's Stefan. And oh, I'm, I'm still Paul. We're doing this for two weeks in a row now. Well, maybe. We'll see. We'll see if anybody... Uh, you know what? Uh, I say tweet at us. Yes. If you're confused, tweet uh, um, SWDT confused. <laughs> Hashtag, Hashtag SWDT? SWDT. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, do they also tweet at you, which is would be, of course, be at uh, Steho, S-T-E-H-O underscore, and then at me, which would, of course, be at Jeffrey Paul Dor. Yes, that is correct. Great. Uh, so where, what, what do we, we're, we're going to hear from Andrew Chung later on today. You, uh, you were very excited, uh, cause we were back on a little bit of a roll of including stories. So, uh, we're really excited to hear, uh, from Andrew's story. What are we going to be talking about first though? Yeah. So Andrew, Andrew's story, as you'll notice from the very, very beginning, uh, has a somewhat unique, uh, it was certainly a unique premise, but also a unique format uh, for these stories. Because most often than not, when you're telling a personal story, the audience doesn't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, usually people don't know uh, where what happened in your life, uh, mm-hmm. especially in the stories that we often tell. They're, they don't people know the endings, um, and so. But it, and so that's so that's you know so you can usually use that as a as a as a device. You know, people are interested to see where the story goes. Right. Uh, and Andrews is different. Uh, Andrew's story, you know exactly how it's going to end, uh, right? Basically from the very, very beginning. Uh, yes. Uh, spoiler. Uh, you know what? Skip ahead about probably a few minutes if you, you know, want to get right to this. But spoiler alert, uh, Hillary Clinton di- is not, didn't get elected as president of the United States. Yeah. In case you have not found that out yet. <laughs> in case you've been like in a coma yeah. for like the last year or yeah. so. I like the idea of that they're going to come out and they wake up and the first thing they do is check our podcast. That is committed to yes. them. Yes, yes. So uh, if you're listening, um, we're really glad that you're out of the coma. Welcome. And uh, also, we're sorry. Yeah. And if and if for some reason you just managed to avoid that news for a year. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this, there's this game that's played every year by people who try to figure out um, how long they can go not knowing the score of the Super Bowl. Right uh, or who won? Mm-hmm. I feel like this would be a much harder version of this game to find out who did who did or did not win the election. Yes, yes, I think so. Um, yes, yeah, yeah, and I'm really glad that you got some sports uh, references uh, in in here. It's been really lacking, I think, on the podcast. You know, like someone's got to bring these uh, these solid sport references. You, you know, in your last story, which we'll hear eventually, I'm sure at some point, you you slandered baseball players as as dumb jocks. So I'm I'm firing back, Paul. I, I never said that, but uh, okay. Anyway, so. So, um, so basically, uh, we'll, we'll let Andrew tell the story, but yeah. the basic, uh, thing that he, the premise he came in with is that him and a bunch of his friends went to New York, uh, city to, um, on a, the election day last year for the president, obviously. And they were going to be, uh, they wanted to be there when history was made, when the, there was the first female president, uh, to come into office and they were going to be there where she was having her big, uh, I don't know what do you call it. Um, celebration. Celebration of, of winning. So. Yes, yeah, so is, she was going to break the glass ceiling and they were really excited. Yes. So the dilemma that he came, that, that, that sort of, I think, evolved that he was working on the story was to um, tell a story where everybody in the audience, like you said, knows what the outcome is. Yeah, and I also think it's important that the outcome 
uh, isn't super dramatic. You know, it's not like the Titanic where you're waiting for the iceberg to sink, mm-hmm. uh, or sorry, the iceberg to sink, the 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 ship to sink, uh, which you know can have its own dramatic expe- expectations. This is something that everyone knows is going to end in a depressing, but not like. I guess, like, you know, the United States is probably sinking now, so that's a separate side of it. But, you know, right. there's not sort of action-packed evening that's, at, that's ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so he actually came to some of our summer workshops uh, and actually was working on it for, for quite some time. And there's a level of which, when he started telling the story, you could already feel the room, or even when he told it to us in a, in a small group, everyone sort of cringed as soon as he started explaining the story. Yeah. Uh, because everyone knew where it was going, you know, and, 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 and that, while that is definitely different, it definitely creates a specific kind of tension you can use to your advantage. Right. Yes, because there was like, what was cool about the story and that you'll hear is that there's sort of two stories going on or there's two there's there's two different layers is there's the story that he is telling on the surface, which is about the excitement of going and like how this is. And, and it, you can like you said, you can play with that because in the audience's mind, almost there was, you know, you almost think of that excitement that everybody had. I guess we should make clear also that our audiences. Our audience is like really probably not supporting the other guy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so if you are so, a Donald Trump supporter who listens to this podcast, also tweet at us because I want to talk to you. Yes. I cannot imagine that person. And you could use the same hashtag, <laughs> hashtag SWDT, confused. <laughs> it's the perfect option. Yes. Um, but yeah, and so one thing that was interesting about the problem that Andrew came across, and one of the things that sort of because of the specific nature of the story he, that we actually had to work through, was that part of his story included a, uh, a, piece, a couple pieces where he was generally de- unhappy um, or, or generally uh, some things in the evening did not go as well as planned, and so he wasn't going to able to be get into the room exactly. Or, you know, there were a couple things that were sort of made his, made his evening more difficult. And in his original version of the story, he, he, he led into that. He sort of explained his frustration that he was having, explained sort of the difficulties that he was having there. And what was interesting was because everyone knew how it was going to end, those pieces really didn't land the same way because everyone sort of knew that he was in store for a much greater disappointment, mm-hmm. that his disappointment was sort of all for naught. Whereas if you had not known the end of the story, then that whole, th- that every piece of it would have, would have landed differently. Mm-hmm. And so that was something he had to, you had to realize was that when the audience knows how the story is going to end, you almost need to lean into your ignorance of how it's going to end. And you can't, and you have to sort of avoid, I think, some of the other side of that. You have to avoid... You know, it's not important. It's not go- the audience knows it's not going to be important that you weren't in the exact room where Hillary Clinton was because the audience knows Hillary Clinton isn't going to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the excitement he showed, I think, did the opposite. It really, it, it it really played into that fact. Yeah, and and you know, in this kind of story, the another uh, component to it is telling a like choosing your details, which actually we'll be talking about uh, in a few weeks, but. Um, kind of well-placed details you know like you said there's certain things that maybe um are relevant to him relevant to him uh, in in the story um but maybe you know in terms of like there's a larger story going on not like there's the larger thing that everybody's connecting to and it's like just you know there's a nice a few well-placed details of his experience just helps kind of guide the audience through this um story because there's also that other layer going on 
that we all know, you know, what, what is going to be, what's happening. Yeah. And I think that's also important that when you're telling a story about a sort of big or, um, showy experience or experience that everyone sort of knows about or feels like they know about the overarching story, then those details become even more important because then those details are giving people insight into a night they didn't, into parts of a night they thought they already understood, right? So some of the things about the story is that he's talking about exactly what the format of getting into the place was, all what the vibe of Times Square was. Uh, he opens with that. And, and all these little pieces of individual details be because they are sort of personal details to him, feed into the story, give the audience a larger context that they wouldn't have had, um, whereas the larger details about, you know, say, the overarching narrative are less important. Uh, and so I think the, the fact that he sort of plays much more specifically into these short, small moments uh, gives, the, gives an audience a new vision into uh, a thing they think they already understand. And I think that is in part what makes the story compelling. And also just, uh, you know, in an overall way, it's uh, like you had mentioned earlier about, um, you know, having a large story like this that our people are, are familiar with and that you can use that almost in a way is, um, is that we, something we've talked about quite a bit before in terms of, you know, you have these kind of stories where the audience is going to be imparting their own also like at the same time mm -hmm. kind of thing, like their own uh, experience of that night. Uh, while he's kind of going through the story and you know that feeling that a lot of people i think had was as the night uh except for you um um trump supporter yeah. listener who's our gonna, one trump supporter yeah, listener, who's yeah. gonna tweet <laughs> at us um but that that like you know there were certain markers like you know usually oh, like around 10 o'clock people are like oh, oh this is not something's you know th this feeling of dread uh kept like was progressed uh, as the night went on kind of thing and that's you know everybody has their own uh it's one of those stories where everybody i think would have their own oh yeah i was doing this yeah like the where were you when jfk was murdered kind of thing yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah that's you just compared this to when the president was shot so um i guess you could say it's at that level for sure well you know we're we're a year into this and and you know he's literally today tweeted out an admission to obstruction of justice. So I feel like, I feel like we're, you know, maybe it's the murder of America. Or maybe it's a, it's like, what is that? A, a when you're like a, you, you die by a thousand. Oh, death uh, by a thousand death, cuts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're big cuts. Oh yeah. Yeah. These are not, yeah. These aren't, these aren't, these aren't, these aren't paper cuts. Yeah. But uh, anyways, that's, we don't want to get into all of that. <laughs> Why don't we let, uh, have a listen to Andrew's story. We know that you will enjoy it. And thank you, Andrew, for, um, coming on and telling your story. I stood in the center of Times Square at midnight. It was packed with people, but it was completely silent. It was so quiet that when a biker rode by, the noise from his bike filled the whole place. On one of the screens, it read November 8th, 2016. Let's rewind a few months earlier. I joke with my friend Lucas, who's actually somewhere back there, um, about going to New York on election day. Nothing really came of it, but then a few more months passed and we, we decided, what the heck, let's go. So Garbo, Lucas, and I bought our tickets to New York City. We would hit a few bars that had election parties, and when Hillary won, 
we would go to Times Square and high-five as many drunk Americans as we could. <laughs> so fast forward to the trip. On Saturday, we decided to either go shopping or check out the High Line. We decided on the High Line. There were two subway lines that we can use to get there, north or east. We chose east. We start walking, and at one point we realize we walk too far. So we turn around and walk through an alley to get to the station. When we came out of the alley, we saw a lineup that stretched over two to three city blocks. We walked past it, but then I was curious about what they're lining up for, so I would turn around and ask. They said that this is the lineup to get tickets to attend Hillary Clinton's election night party, where she'd be making her speech. So I start freaking out. I had to get into this event. I had to see Hillary Clinton on election night. So I asked them who is eligible to attend such an event. And one person said, you can get free tickets if you're a registered volunteer. OK, so we, we immediately lined up and registered on our phones to be volunteers. <laughs> After 30 minutes of lining up on the sidewalk, all the while freaking out and too many feelings to list, we finally got to the front. We were now inside Hillary's Manhattan campaign office. Now the second hurdle had presented itself. You see, in front of me, people started taking out their IDs, their American IDs. We realized we had two options. We can either give them our Canadian ID, or we can say we forgot our IDs altogether. We went back and forth on this, and we decided just to be honest. I mean, after all, it's what Bernie would have wanted. <laughs> As I get to the front, the person asked me for my ID. So I give him my driver's license without saying a word. He looked at me, looked at the ID, looked down, wrote on his laptop. He gave me my ID, and he gave me a ticket. We had just received tickets to be in the same room as Hillary Clinton on election night. We had not expected this at all. We were originally going to spend election night at some bar. Had we gone shopping instead of the High Line, had we walked north instead of east, had we not gotten lost and walked through an alley, and had we walked past the lineup without asking what the lineup was about, had any one of these things happened, we would not have stumbled upon these tickets. And this was a little bit too much. We, so you know, we kind of had to sit down just to soak it in and take it all in. And I have to be honest, I sort of started tearing up. I was going to be standing face to face in front of Hillary Clinton as she gets crowned as America's first ever female president. This was a symbolic victory, not just for women, but for people all around the world. Before coming to New York, I had drafted up all these snappy one-liners on Facebook. You know, for whenever she won, I'd post that up right away. It's a, but the best one that I had was, it's a great day for empathy. It's a great day for empathy. For me, Trump and his supporters stood for all that was wrong in the world. They were not empathetic, and they were not supportive of our liberal values and progressive ideas. The next few days, you can feel the election magic in the air. Both Trump and Hillary would be in New York City on election night for their election parties. On Tuesday, the entire world would have their eyes on America, and America would have its eyes on New York City. So now it's election day. I remember waking up to clear skies and a bright sun, feeling super excited and very hopeful for the future of America. We got to the arena at 1 p.m. to line up in what looked like a massive airplane hangar. And within a few hours, there was half a hockey game's worth of people lined up. Now here's the thing about Americans. They have this great sense of community to them. At one point, the organizer at the front used a large microphone to communicate with us. 
But since the hangar was so big, anyone in the middle or the back couldn't hear. So the people in the front started chanting the message to the people in the middle, and the people in the middle started chanting the message to the people in the back. It was basically the largest game of telephone I've ever been in part of. At one point, the organizer told us we couldn't bring in outside food. So everyone started offering each other their food. People started saying things like, who wants my chips? Who wants my cookies? One guy held up a sandwich and said, who wants my sandwich? <laughs> After being packed like sardines with thousands of strangers for six hours, we finally got inside the Javits Center. This is it. I'm going to see Hillary Clinton. I'm so excited, and I can't contain it myself anymore. The arena was packed with people, with vendors serving food and people talking on stage. We were, we were watching a special broadcast, so when the news went to commercials, they played Hillary advertisements for the crowd. As I looked up for the first time, I realized Trump was leading Florida by 93%. Wait, that's a typo, right? Anyway, Florida always goes back and forth, so I didn't pay too much attention to it. We start waiting for, in line for food, and as I spoke to one American, or I spoke with one American, and he told me that there's going to be fireworks later on tonight, and Katy Perry is going to perform. After we got food and continued watching, the announcer on screen said that this was no longer going to be a blowout Clinton victory, and that Trump is actually doing better than most people thought. Okay, all right, so not every election could be Bush versus Dukakis, but a win is a win. 10 p.m., Hillary Clinton takes Virginia. There was a large cheer that erupted in the arena. The venue's name is Javits Center, and they picked the venue because its ceiling is made of glass, and of course, Hillary was going to shatter it. 1028, CNN and Fox call Ohio for Trump. The first major swing state now goes to Trump. But that's okay, though. I mean, you can't depend on Ohio for these things, right? Ohio's never faithful, like, useful for you. At the very center of the arena, there was a stage where people gave speeches. People who spoke were the mayor and governor of New York, Humayun Khan, the father of the Muslim soldier who died fighting in Iraq, and Katy Perry, who's giving a, uh, a performance later on during the fireworks. 1053. Trump has now taken Florida. The TV analyst said that Hillary is no longer the favorite, and it's now a literal, uh, literal coin toss between the two. But, I mean, there's probably no reason to be upset because Obama led the Midwestern states against Romney, Romney and that's how he won. So surely Hillary's going to do the same thing. She's going to capture Midwest, and she's gonna, you know, that's going to help her propel her to victory. I talked to a cop and asked him where the fireworks would be, and the cop said the fireworks are canceled and Katy Perry's no longer performing. <laughs> Okay, so maybe there's going to be some rain or something. That must be why. 11-14. North Carolina goes to Trump. He now has more paths to get to 270 votes, and she was now on the defensive. Now she needed Pennsylvania, Trump, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin, all of which were in virtual ties or led by Trump. And meanwhile, the Canadian citizen and immigration website has crashed. <laughs> Then all of a sudden, I look around me and I see people start crying. Some people are starting to leave. I also distinctly remember seeing three Latino teenagers sitting on the ground in a circle, holding hands and praying. I mean, I, I really don't know why these guys are so sad, to be honest. Like, she could still pull this off. We still have the Western states to work with, and there might be a surprise from Colorado or Nevada. So what she's going to do is she's going to win the swing states, and then she's going to win the West. She'll do this. I know it. She has to. 
I mean, there's no way that he's going to win, right? Like, in no universe can a man like Donald Trump become the president of the United States. The most powerful person, in, like, there's just, there's, it just, it doesn't, it, midnight. <laughs> Wisconsin goes to Trump. As the news went to commercials, they cut to a Hillary advertisement that I'll never forget. In the ad, an elderly woman said that she was born during the women's suffragette movement and that she's thankful that by the end of her lifetime, we're going um, to have a female president. And when that ad ended, my stomach turned. 1.30 AM. The Keystone State of Pennsylvania goes to Donald J. Trump. We decided it was time for us to leave and go to Times Square. As we walked towards the exit, I look at the stage one more time, realizing that I was this close to seeing Hillary on it. I stood in the center of Times Square. It was packed with people, but it was completely silent. It was so quiet that when a biker rode by, the noise from his bike filled the whole place. The biker was riding around, looking up at the election results. He was riding in circles like an American eagle circling above to catch its prey. And as the biker rode off into the distance and disappeared, so too did Hillary's chances of sitting in the White House. And at this moment, I realized that I was wrong. I had been blaming Trump and his supporters for not having empathy, and yet it was me who was guilty of that all along. This entire time, I took for granted that Hillary would win. I carried myself as if the battle was won, and that coming to New York was just a march in the parade. I was, it, it wasn't until today that I realized how big America is and how much of middle America is suffering. In essence, it was me who was not being empathetic towards Trump's supporters. I recall my Facebook post, it's a great day for empathy. Well, that turned out to be a true statement. It was a great day for empathy. But it wasn't a lesson in empathy for Trump and his supporters, but rather a lesson for me. Thank you. Subscribe to the Stories We Don't Tell podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on iTunes. For more information about the podcast, blog, and live events, find us on Facebook or visit storieswedonttell.org. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by What Happened? No, seriously. What Happened?